Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to a special edition of Commons People. I'm Rachel Wearmouth, and I'm joined by my colleague, Paul Waugh. Hi, Paul. Hi, Rachel. Uh, we are delighted to have with us this week both candidates to be the next leader of the Scottish Labour Party, Monica Lennon and Anna Sawa. Monica is Scottish Labour's health spokesperson and has been MSP for Central Scotland since 2016. She gained prominence with her successful campaigning on period poverty, with Scotland last year becoming the first country in the world to offer free sanitary products for all. Hi, Monica. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Paul. Hi there. And Anas is a very well-known figure in Scottish politics. He is currently MSP for Glasgow and the party's spokesperson on the Constitution. And he has previously served as Deputy Leader of Scottish Labour. He coordinated the successful No campaign against independence in 2014. And in 2017, stood against the now outgoing leader, Richard Leonard. Hi, Anas. Hi, Rachel and Paul. How are you both? Great, thanks. Okay, so Anas and Monica are with us as Nicola Sturgeon claims there is panic from Boris Johnson and others over Scotland's future as part of the United Kingdom. Support for Scottish independence has been steadily rising, with now 20 consecutive polls showing a majority of Scots would vote in favour of breaking away. One poll put support for independence as high as 58%. The SNP have set out a roadmap to securing another referendum and are on course to win handsomely at the Holyrood elections in May, having dominated the political terrain since 2014. And today, Boris Johnson has been north of the border to kick off what his aides are calling the campaign to save the UK. Here he is speaking to journalists. My focus is on defeating the pandemic. I believe that should be I believe that, that should be the, the focus of everybody in this country. And I believe in the power of doing things together. I think it's you're going on and on about a, a referendum, uh, and we don't actually know what that referendum would set out to achieve. We don't know what the point of it would be, what, what happens to the, the army, what happens to the crown, what happens to the pound, what happens to the foreign office, what happens to the security. Nobody will tell us what it's all meant to be about. And, so, so, it, they, and uh, they had one in, in 2014. And I think what people do want is to focus on the issues that really matter. Uh, I think jobs, uh, the educational performance of the Scottish National Government, uh, I don't believe has been brilliant, their performance on fighting crime, on drugs. Those are the things that I think people need to focus on. So can I ask um, both Anas and Monica, just why do you think unionists are losing the argument? Look, I think if we're, if we're honest about it, um, Boris Johnson is a disaster and he and the Conservative Party are the biggest threat to the United Kingdom. And I think through this COVID response, I think if you look at the campaigning work that Steve Rotherham and Andy Burnham have been doing or what Sadiq Khan's been doing in London or what Mark Drapeford's been doing in, in Wales. I don't think it's just Scotland that feels disconnected from um, the UK government or this UK Tory government. I think right across the whole UK, people feel disconnected um, from this UK government. Um, and, and we've got to try and win the message that, you know, Boris Johnson is in Britain, just like Nicola Sturgeon is in Scotland. Um, and alongside that, I mean, if you look at the polls, I, I, I take the point, Rachel, you make about the, the polls um, a, a series of polls now showing a majority support for independence once we take out the don't knows 
and I think the most concerning thing around that is, particularly amongst younger people, um, there is less of an attachment to the UK. And actually, I don't find that surprising. And the reason why I don't find that surprising is for a lot of those young people, they haven't lived a day of their adult life in, in a stable United Kingdom. They've lived the last four and a half years in Brexit chaos, uh, first of all, delivered by David Cameron, then Theresa May and, and Boris Johnson. So, so I can understand why um, they feel that way. But also within those same polls, um, you don't have people demanding independence now. Um, and, I, and I think that's what we need to try and when the argument on it's over the next four or five years how can we take the argument away from the old divisive politics that tories and the smp want us to go back to pre-covid and instead make it about people's lives and livelihoods now and how we should have a covid recovery parliament monica well i think the one thing we can be certain of is that the conversation on the constitution isn't going away even during a global crisis during a pandemic the constitution is still a dominant issue so my bid to be Scottish Labour leader has been a very honest one. It's about saying that whilst people in the Scottish Labour Party don't feel comfortable talking about the constitution all the time, we can't set this debate out because if we do that, we leave space for the SNP to promote hardline independence and for the Tories to promote more of the same, the status quo, which is all about looking after their rich friends. I think... The, the real disconnect uh, in, in Scotland is around inequality. And as mentioned, young people, I would add to that, that working class communities feel really left behind. And I think if you look at what happened with Brexit, you know, where people in traditional labour heartlands voted for Brexit because they felt so disconnected from decision makers, from the establishment, from politicians, that they felt it was worth taking a chance. And that's a debate that is still rumbling on in Scotland. So I think we need politicians for the post-2014 world. And I don't believe in independence. I won't be promoting a referendum. But I do believe that if people in Scotland choose that they want to have a referendum, we have to settle that matter here in Scotland. It shouldn't be up to Boris Johnson or any other Prime Minister for, for that matter. And I won't behind Boris Johnson, hide behind him on this issue. Can I just follow up on that? Um, um... I mean, you both make uh, the point that actually how disconnected Scotland feels from from this Tory government. Um, and it seems that independence support has grown steadily the longer a Tory government's been in power. Is it the case, do both of you think, or either of you think, that it's only when Scots think a Labour prime minister will once again be in number 10 that they think another future is possible? And they haven't really thought that for the last 10 years. I think what gives me confidence, Paul, is that when people in Scotland are asked their views on policy, they like Scottish Labour's policies. And at a UK level, um, they're also attracted to what, what Labour has been saying. In 2017, the area where I live, Rutherglen Hamilton West, which has been a 20,000 majority for Labour, it was Tom Greatrex's seat. We lost that in 2015. We won it back in 2017. We lost it again by, you know, um, a small margin. But people like the policies, but the brand has been damaged. There's been something quite toxic about Scottish Labour and UK Labour. So we've got a really prog progressive policy platform already in Scotland. And a lot of that chimes with lots of progressives and people on the left. But it has to be bigger than that. People have to feel a connection with Scottish Labour. They have to trust us and believe that we're authentic. And we have to get back to reaching out to where people are in their lives. And I think part of that is saying, if you want to talk about the constitution, we are listening. We want to be part of the conversation with you. 
And Anas, can I ask you? I, yeah. I mean, the, 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 there is a catch twenty-two here, isn't there? Which is Keir Starmer needs seats in Scotland to form a stable working majority, and to deliver all those policies that Scottish Labour really believes in at, at a national, in a, you know, UK level. But he can't get those seats until Scots think he's got a chance of winning power. What? What? what how do you resolve that catch twenty-two? Look, I think it goes back to your original question as well. But undoubtedly, we can't deliver a UK Labour government unless we have a functioning, active and winning Scottish Labour Party. And and one of the things that I'm really clear about is I don't want Scottish Labour to be the drag on the ticket. I don't want it to be that we come to the next election and Labour is surging ahead in, in Wales and in England and we're on the cusp of having a Labour government, but it's a poor performance in Scotland that stops us having a, a Labour Prime Minister. And, and I think alongside that, the, the way I think or partly the way that we rebuild the party in Scotland is we've got to be the party for Scotland. And that means, yes, supporting Keir Starmer, yes, respecting his mandate, yes, backing him up and helping him to be the next prime minister, but also not being afraid to say when he or the UK party gets it wrong um, and, and never fail to stand up for the people of Scotland. Um, and the other thing I would, I would say just about in terms of talking about the constitution, I, I think Scottish Labour's also got to be fear and step away from the fatalism that seems to have taken hold. This idea that the, an SNP win is inevitable, a Labour Party gumming is inevitable, an independence referendum majority is therefore inevitable and therefore independence is inevitable. I, I would much rather, rather than the Scottish Labour Party trying to find a wheeze of a position to try and win people back, is instead let's have political leaders that just tell the truth and are honest about what they believe. I don't honestly believe it's in Scotland's interests to have an independence referendum, particularly coming through COVID. I honestly don't believe it's in Scotland's best interest for them to have independence. And if I don't believe it, I'm not going to argue for it. And, and I've got to try and, and win the argument with the Scottish people. We are not spectators in the election in May. And this is the thing that frustrates me is there's so many people that want to talk about what happens after May. Actually, we have an ability to influence what happens before May and in May. OK, so I'll move on a little bit to talking about um, potential second independence referendum. Nicola Sturgeon believes that withholding um, a, a second vote will only increase support for independence. Do, do you accept that that is the risk that you take as a, as a unionist? And isn't it un undemocratic to continue arguing against a vote? Well, I think I said um, a few moments ago that it should be for people in Scotland to decide. So to be really clear, because I'm not sure what Anas was maybe getting at in terms of politicians being honest, but I've been really clear that I don't believe in independence. I don't think a referendum is right for Scotland now or any time in the immediate future, but there's a difference. We have to approach the electorate as Democrats. People in Scotland have been teaching us a lesson now for a long, long time. That's why we're in third place. And it's a long time now since Anas was deputy leader, but he knows from his tour around the country in a big red bus how angry people were with Scottish Labour, both before that referendum and after it. We were obliterated in Scotland and we've not recovered from that, nowhere close to that. So I want us to get into a, a position where we can actually affect change. I've passed a member's bill in the Scottish Parliament in opposition. Great. That's on one issue. You know, we're on the margins of Scottish politics, so we need to get back into, into the race. And I think that for those people who have left the Labour Party in their droves, the vast majority have gone to the SNP. So what is that telling us? Now, they don't all believe in independence, but they believe that you have to stand up 
for Scotland's interest in the UK. And the last thing I would say, if we're just telling people vote for Labour so that we've got a better chance of getting a Labour Prime Minister, people are actually thinking about their own jobs and their own families and their own communities. And it always sounds like politicians are just trying to get support for themselves. And I think that's where the real disappointment has been with Scottish Labour over many years. And it's not just at a national level. We've seen it in our communities. I've been a Labour councillor and know what it's like when Labour councillors lose elections. So th there is a big, big gap between what Scottish Labour politicians believe people want to hear and, and what actually is important to them. So, of course, we need to get through the pandemic. I'm Labour social care and health spokesperson, so I've been up close to, to the issues. I know the, the, the trauma that our key workers have faced, what people have faced in the country, but people also have views on the constitution as well as views on how we build back more fairly and more equally. And I think we just have to stop insulting people and telling them they can't have a view on Scotland's future in the UK. Can I, can I ask a follow up there, which is um, what do you make of Gordon Brown's idea of, um, of you know, a federal UK? And do you think that actually there is a case if there is a referendum for, a, for, for an extra question, the Devo Max question as, a, as an old third question on the ballot paper? So, so probably just an answer to, to, to Rachel's question. I, I don't think an SNP majority is inevitable. Um, I think we can stop an SNP majority and therefore focus, I think, on what the people's priorities are. Um, Whenever people are asked about what their priorities are, independence comes up number six or seven. So I, I actually don't think Labour politicians are getting it wrong when they're talking about people's priorities one, two, three, four, five. And I would much rather we focused on talking about people's priorities one, two, three, four, five. But I think my, than, my, my question rather, is rather than accepting the framing of what the SNP want the election to be. No, I, I totally get your question, Rachel. But the point I'm making is I don't want to get into hypotheticals. I want to influence what happens in May rather than have hypothetical conversations about what happens after May. I, I think we can stop um, an SNP majority. And on Paul's question, I, I fully support the work the, Gord, the Gordon is doing. Obviously, as our constitutional spokesperson, um, I, I was involved in, in the run up to, to Keir Starmer's speech and also. Um, will have a, a role in, in, in what the Constitutional Commission does. But one thing I want to be really, really clear about is I think the mistake that the Labour Party has made in the past and um, other Scottish politicians have made in the past is sometimes it looks like or sounds like we are trying to find a devolution fix because we've got a struggle on an independence question. Actually, I would much rather say further devolution is what we believe in. It's who we are as a political party, and it's not the status quo of the, S of the Tories, and it's not independence of the SNP. We are the, we are the pro-devolution party. But you can have greater devolution, you can have power closer to home, you can have decision-making closer to home. It shouldn't be conditional upon there being another independence referendum campaign that only pulls our people further apart. So so I don't think I don't think that's that needs to be the choice. And the fear I have in terms of the, the suggestion that somehow there's a third option, the reality is unless the Labour Party gets itself off its knees and actually becomes a credible movement again in Scotland, the idea that as a third party in Scotland, we're going to get to dictate the terms of any such campaign is, is just not believable. Instead, we've got to get ourselves off our, off, off our knees. And, and the final thing I'll say about that is if we are honest with ourselves, if we look ourselves in the eye and we're honest with ourselves, over the last period, we have not given the people of Scotland or our members of the Scottish Labour Party they deserve. And that's one of the reasons why voters have deserted. It's not just on the constitutional question. It's because they haven't seen it as a credible alternative.
Okay, well, I'll move on to talking a little bit about coronavirus then. Who do you think's done a better job of handling the coronavirus crisis? Do you think it has been Boris Johnson or Nicola Sturgeon? And ask. Look, I, I think Nicola Sturgeon is clearly a better communicator than Boris Johnson. Thank goodness for that. It's not really a high bar, but, but <laughs> thank goodness for that. Um, so I, I think people rightly give her credit for that better communication. Um, Yes, our um, infection levels are lower than the rest of the UK at the moment, but there have been periods through this pandemic that they've been uh, the third highest in Europe and poorer than the rest of the UK. Um, but I, I still think that on the big, big questions, they've made the same mistakes. Uh, and in the case of care homes, we've made even worse mistakes than the rest of the UK. And I, I give great credit to the public because the public that actually have to live the restrictions and implement the restrictions. And I think they've done that well, by and large, by a clear majority. But the parts that the government are responsible for, the uh, testing system and the tracing system, I'm sorry, 11 months in, there are still too many holes, too many problems, um, and, and we're letting too many people down. So we've got to get to grips with the testing system and the tracing system. And we've also got to try and build a mass mobilisation effort uh, with our armed forces, with the NHS, but also with an army of volunteers across the country so we can vaccinate our way out of this crisis. Monica. Um, can I answer with Jacinda? That would be my, my preference. <laughs> I think we have to remember that we have a, a UK four-nation approach. So the overall strategy is a collective one. Um, so decisions that are taken in Scotland are very similar to decisions taken um, at a UK level. I think we have to go back to even before COVID to look at pandemic preparedness and we didn't get that right either in Scotland or at a UK level. So our public services weren't ready. We didn't have enough resilience in the public sector and we didn't have enough um, equipment like PPE um, and, and uh, ventilators and so on. And then if you look at what happened when we were getting warnings from the WHO and a pandemic was declared, we were still too slow to lock down. You know, we had advisors both in Scotland and at a UK level telling people it was okay to go and see the stereophonics or go to a big football match in Glasgow, go to Cheltenham for the horse racing. So that was still the attitude that it was just like a flu pandemic. Um, I think what we've seen um, in Scotland is that you can have a good PR strategy when you really need a good public health strategy. And I do take my hat off to Nicola Sturgeon that she's been there on the telly most days at least showing that she's answering questions, but when it boils down to it, frontline workers um, are being let down, even today. I've been arguing since towards the end of last year for enhanced PPE for frontline healthcare workers so that we can have a precautionary approach because the virus is ahead of us all the time in terms of new emerging variants. What we've seen in care homes is a scandal. Um, and if I can pick on one issue, which is that we've got care home residents who have not seen their families for almost a year now. So I work really closely with the care home relatives group in Scotland to try and get meaningful contact. I'm working with a politician in Canada on how we can get emergency legislation to tackle that. But when we have learned this week that more than 100,000 people in the UK have died from COVID during this pandemic, we can't talk about success. And I think, you know, I've heard Nicola Sturgeon a few times talk about having sleepless nights, um, no one would want to be in her shoes, but this is not a competition between any First Minister and a Prime Minister. I think as a UK, what we've reached this week is not a milestone, it's a national 
scandal and a tragedy that we've lost lives needlessly because we should have been better prepared and we should have acted more quickly. Monica, can I ask you, on just on that issue, um, to what extent do you think in terms of the politics of all this, and I know you don't want to make it political as such, but obviously you've, you've got legitimate criticisms of what Nicola Sturgeon's done. Um, what, how much of a political problem is it that, that, that there is an incumbency um, benefit for Nicola Sturgeon and for Boris Johnson, both of them, in the sense that the public in Scotland and in the rest of the country want their government to do well. They really want them to do the, to, to get this right. And they the benefit of the doubt a bit. I mean, to what extent is that a, a political problem for you? Well, I think during the pandemic, people have tried to put politics and the party sense out of their minds because we do need a national collective effort to tackle the virus, to suppress it, eliminate it and to rebuild our economy. And the focus for me as a regional MSP is to help people who are in crisis now, whether that's you know a financial crisis, mental health, dealing with the, 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 the human tragedy of COVID. It's about getting money into the pockets of people and businesses to, to save jobs. But at the moment, Nicola Sturgeon clearly is benefiting from being in the public eye every single day. But I, what I do agree with Anas is that there's nothing inevitable about the result of the Holyrood election. You know, right now, people look to the senior politicians and want everyone to get along as much as they can. But there is growing dissatisfaction. We've heard it today with the budget in the Scottish Parliament, where people talk about, you know, COVID recovery and rewarding key workers. We just haven't seen that. We've, we've, again, we've heard a lot of rhetoric from the, the Scottish government today. For example, the, the housing budget has been cut. What's that all about? Who is that going to help? So I know that I can speak for all of the Scottish Labour Party when I say that we don't want to go back to Scotland before the pandemic because our country was really unequal. So we want to build back in a way that is about putting people first. Um, that's why I've been fighting for a national care service that was a flagship policy under Richard Leonard. So we've got a really progressive policy agenda, which I want to protect and build on. But people are very unhappy with the SNP but we need to give them positive reasons to come back to Labour or to vote for Scottish Labour for the first time. I thought you were going to ask the same question, but asked. I just yeah. we were just talking about um, um, sort of how well Boris and Boris Johnson and Nicola Sturgeon have dealt with the crisis. Do, 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 do both of you fear that if another referendum is held while Boris Johnson is Prime Minister, that that would doom it to failure for, if, from a unionist point of view, given just how unpopular he is? Look, I think... I think it's undoubtedly the case um, that Boris Johnson is a disaster. Um, I've said that before. Um, I think he is the biggest threat to the UK. Um, his his language around devolution, I think, insults a proud Labour tradition and a proud Labour history of of devolution. Um, and but, but I honestly, honestly, don't think that coming out of the collective trauma of COVID, and it is a collective trauma of COVID in terms of the lives and livelihoods that are going to be lost. It's going to be followed by a mental health pandemic. There's going to be a huge backlog in terms of, for example, cancer services um, and excess deaths as a result. The idea that we come through that collective trauma um, and and once again pull our country apart, I, I just find the, the idea really, really difficult to deal with. Um, and I think a, a majority of Scots will feel, will feel the exact same way. Um, Paul asked a really important question about, you know, the, the difficulty for us as a party in the political space when 
you've got incumbency and, and you're on pretty much the television every day. Look, I, I think the honest answer to that, Paul, is, you know, regardless of your politics, we want Nicola Sturgeon to do get to get this right because we've all got families um, and friends that are impacted directly by this virus, whether that be from the health aspect of it or an economic and jobs aspect from it. So I want Nicola Sturgeon to get it right. I want her to succeed. I want us to suppress the virus. I want us to defeat the virus through the vaccine. And, and whatever timeline there might be for an election is, is irrelevant to that. But alongside that, what I think the public want us to see is to have parliamentarians that are asking difficult questions, that are challenging, and then hopefully working together to respond. And I think if you look at, you know, right at the start, Rachel mentioned the, the, the Prime Minister's visit to Scotland. For too many times in the last 11 months, it looks like both the Scottish and the UK government have manufactured grievance in order to argue with each other and fight with each other rather than look like they're working together in the national interest. And, and that doesn't help anybody. I want all our politicians to work together in the national interest, not the nationalist interest, the national interest, to get us through this crisis. This crisis was just like a wartime crisis. Monica? What? Well, I don't think Boris Johnson um, is an asset for the union. I think both Boris Johnson and Douglas Ross, actually, who's the leader of the Scottish Conservatives, um, are, are hugely divisive figures. And, you know, what people in Scotland care about, I believe a majority of people in Scotland care about, is social justice, about you know, looking after family, community, having fairness at work. And the, the Tories don't stand for those things at a UK level or in, in Scotland. So Boris has come to Scotland today. Again, to me, it's a publicity stunt. Um, it wasn't essential. Don't know who it's benefiting. Probably caused a lot of hassle for the key workers in the, the facilities that he visited. So he's been, it'll, it'll go away. Will it have made people's life in Scotland any better? No, he could have sent a nice video, you know, via Zoom, that would have been sufficient. So, um, you know, you, you'll see on social media, you know, I'll hear family talking about it. No one will be feeling delighted um, or, or safer that, that Boris came to Scotland. Um, so I just think it, was, it, was, it wasn't essential. But it's not it's not good enough for Scottish Labour to step back and, and wait for for the Tories to become even more toxic or for the SNP to lose a bit of support. We're going to improve in this election by being positive, um, by being genuine with people. And I go back to that point about listening. I think for too long Scottish Labour has failed to listen. And I've got huge respect um for Gordon Brown, huge respect for, for Keir Starmer, but to think that we just keep wheeling out party grandees to come and tell people in Scotland what to do. What I want to hear more of is from those younger people, people who are going to be voting in this election at 16, those young people who care about climate justice, um, who have experienced precarious work and know what it's like to really feel that there isn't a bright future to look forward to. The Scottish Labour Party is more than just a bunch of 23 MSPs at Holyrood. So we need to make our party more connected to community. We do that through our, our, our links with trade unions. I was speaking to young trade unionists last night on a Zoom call, and they're feeling quite energised and excited by this campaign already because Scottish Labour is prepared to have difficult conversations. But there's so much work ahead of us um, to turn it around but I'm up for that challenge. Monica I was just gonna say so it sounds like you disagree with Keir Starmer then who, who agreed that the Prime Minister should be up in Scotland and because and it was an entirely 
legitimate visit and that as Prime Minister of the UK he should be seeing what's happening on the ground. Sounds like you you don't didn't didn't think it was essential for him to go up there after all. Well, I'm speaking as someone who has been the party spokesperson in Scotland on health and social care throughout this pandemic. Um, if it was useful to go and do visits in hospitals, I would have been there, Rachel, to, to show support and solidarity and to, to learn. But I don't know a single nurse or doctor or frontline health worker who wants politicians to be in their workplace right now. Um so if 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 Keir said something different, then another point that we'll uh, respectfully disagree <laughs> on. Um, but you know, it, 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 these things come down to opinion. You know, we, we're spending every day telling people here are the rules and regulations. I'm the deputy convener of the Parliament's COVID nineteen committee. Um, you know, Boris Johnson had to travel a lot of miles with staff to come here. I just don't think it was necessary. And Asta, did you, did you think it was essential, legitimate, legitimate rather, and for and for the prime minister to go up? Look, I, I think it's important to separate it out. One, I don't think it was essential travel. So um, we're we're all not travelling um, across the UK. So so I don't agree it was essential travel. Um, but I think we've got to separate it into three different parts. One is whether it was essential or not. It clearly wasn't. Secondly, is Boris himself as a personality. I think he's been a disastrous prime minister and someone. Um, that has has not handled this pandemic well, or indeed the big challenges of our country well. But there's also a third part, which you know I, I do give the caveats. The first two is we should also ch- be careful that it doesn't sound like we're saying that a UK prime minister does not have legitimacy uh, in Scotland, regardless of which political party they're from. So I don't think he should have came because it wasn't essential. I think he's a disaster. But should the UK prime minister, in principle, be active and visible in Scotland? Of course they should. The problem is Boris Johnson, not not the title. Can I move on just to talk a little bit about um, how Scottish Labour is organised? Um, SNP frequently criticises Scottish Labour as a branch office of UK Labour. Um, are you in favour of the party becoming completely independent from from UK Labour, Monica? I am committed to being a UK Labour party, but things do need to change. Um, you know, People um, need to show more respect to Scottish Labour. We're not just a branch of the party, to, to borrow that language from Joanne Lamont, where, you know, we're useful to try and get, you know, uh, more MPs in to, to get Labour governments. It has to be rooted in what is important for people in Scotland and the interests of people in Scotland. We need more autonomy. You know, we've got discipline cases that have been hanging about like a bad smell for a couple of years now. So we've got a councillor in Dumfries and Galloway who has admitted and apologised making racist remarks against a, a senior government minister in Scotland, and that's still sitting in someone's inbox somewhere in London, um, which um, damages the credibility of Scottish Labour. So why is that? Let's get that sorted. We've got a resourcing issue. We've not been very good at raising funds in Scotland, um, so we're not really self-sufficient the way we should be. Um, I'm not close to these issues, but I just know that we can't just keep doing things the way we've been doing them. And I think that needs some frank conversations between um, the people who lead Scottish Labour and the people who lead the party at a UK level. Anna? I think undoubtedly we have to be an autonomous party. Um, I, I wouldn't for a moment suggest we need to be a, a separate party. I think we do need to be an autonomous party, and I'm very clear that if I am elected leader, I will be the leader of the, the entire Scottish Labour Party um, and I will always do what is best for Scotland and for the Scottish Labour Party. 
I think the challenge you have here, Rachel, is, is probably two fundamental things. One is the, the structural makeup and relationship. And, and I'm very clear very early doors that I, I will be robust in terms of fighting for that autonomy for Scottish Labour and getting that agreement agreed across the UK for that autonomy for Scottish Labour so we can avoid the situations that we had in the last two general elections when a UK-wide politician can come up and appear at a fringe show and decimate a Scottish Labour Party policy position and therefore cost his votes and lose his seats at the same time. That should never, ever happen again. You but mean John also, McDonnell by any chance, Anna? I do mean, jo I do mean John McDonnell. Um, I'm not afraid to say that directly. I do mean John McDonnell. Um, but alongside that, I think we've also got to be honest and say it's not just a structural issue. Quite often it becomes a personality issue as well. And one of the things that I found really, really frustrating is it's almost as if we decide the level of autonomy we want to have depending on whether we agree the alignment of the Scottish leadership with the alignment of the UK leadership regardless of whatever alignment there is or lack of alignment there is between the UK party and the Scottish party, there should be set in stone autonomy. And part of that is how relationships work. And, and I will be very clear. I will work with Keir. I will help Keir. I will support him. I will respect him. But I will be leaving him no doubt who the leader of the Scottish Labour Party is. OK, I'll move on to talking about um, Brexit, finally. <laughs> um, so we had uh, uh, one of your colleagues from... Um, from down in Westminster, uh, the Labour MP for Canterbury, Rosie Duffield, um, she told us that a number of Labour backbenchers, their heart is still with rejoining the EU and that, that they would be pressing Keir Starmer to make that case or to try and rebuild strong links with the European Union. Obviously, Scotland voted strongly in favour of Remain back in the, the referendum. What, what approach would you take as, as Scottish Labour leader? Would you be pressing for rejoin and ask? So, so I'm I'm really pleased and proud to have the support of the Labour movement for Europe in this um, contest. And look, I want as close an alignment with the European Union as possible because I think it's in our economic interest. I think it's in our social interest. I think it's in our human interest. Um, it's in a workers' right interest. Um, but at the same time, I think it would be um, disingenuous for me to say that we need to have a period of healing that doesn't take us back to the old divides in terms of a yes-no question. But at the same time, I think we should go back to having a discussion about a leave versus remain question. So I would much rather we we, we went past the divisive politics we had pre-COVID and instead had a period, five years, but a period where we have calm, where we bring people together, we have healing, and we make it a collective mission to make it focused on COVID recovery. Monica? I agree. You know, I want Scotland and the UK to have the closest relationship with Europe as possible for all those reasons mentioned in terms of trade, economy, the social benefits, human rights and so on. And I think you, you touched on it, Rachel, when you said, you know, the majority of people in Scotland wanted to remain in the EU. I think that does um, play out in the polls when people are asked about um, the independence question. So that that is a factor, again, that we can't, we can't just, you know, block that out. So I think all of these issues are, are, are wrapped up in, in people's identity. Um, again, I don't think it's because people feel an emotional connection to the EU and its institutions, um, but it's people's understanding about where Scotland sits in the world and the benefits of being part of something bigger. I think that concept of being part of something bigger, that's what we need to tap into and making a case for. 
a reformed UK. I think earlier on, Paul mentioned the F word, federalism. It's not really a word that people talk about an awful lot in Scotland. If we were sitting down the pub, which we can't do right now, but if you're in the pub or you're in the work canteen, people are not itching there to talk about federalism. And again, it's something that, that we in the Labour Party are very positive about. But when I've been speaking to colleagues around the UK, they said, nah, no one's really talking about that. So, but the, the ideas are important and it is about how we spread both power, wealth and opportunity out of Westminster and Whitehall, out of um, the hands of, of, of national politicians and empower local communities. So I think an opportunity for Scottish Labour is to see how we can drive that at a grassroots level in our communities, working with our local leaders, because we have some fantastic local councils and local leaders um, but these are these are issues that are going to rumble on. You know, we all want to forget about Brexit as if the matter's all closed. But for many people, these issues are not fully closed. And that's why I am respectful of people who have different views from me on the Constitution and on Scotland's future in both the UK and in Europe. And do either of you think that rejoining is, is a credible position for, for Scottish Labour? Rejoining the EU? Well, as I've said, Paul, I, I don't, I don't think we should reopen that debate, particularly as we come through the COVID recovery. Um, so, so I don't think we should reopen that debate in the next parliament. Monica, well, it's not something that I think we need to have a, an immediate answer on. You know, I do agree with Anas. I think there is agreement in the Labour Party that whilst the issue about the constitution is going to rumble on, we're still in the pandemic. We're not through that. Um, and we need to focus on recovery. That's what everybody wants. But these big structural issues are not going to go away. So my approach as leader will be to listen, not just to voices across the party, but voices across the country. I think there's space to, to have these debates and to better understand what it is that's actually driving people and what they want to see, what, what are the big changes that they want in their lives. And I think what we need to focus on in Scottish Labour is what can be done in the here and now in the short term because the biggest frustration for people within the Labour Party is that we've had the SNP in power in Scotland coming up in 14 years and they've failed to use all the powers, all the levers of the Scottish Parliament, all the resources that we have here in Scotland to tackle inequalities. We've seen that in the latest drug death statistics where not only do we have the highest drug death rate in the UK, but in Europe, and it's it's heartbreaking. It's an absolute scandal. Drug deaths in Scotland have doubled in a decade. So partly the explanation for that is that vital funding was taken away from alcohol and drug services. But we also, at a UK level, have a really, really good report um, by the Scottish Affairs Committee, which Scottish Labour MPs, before we lost them, had input to, and they went to other countries. And that's just been put away in a drawer by, by Boris Johnson and his government. So that's where I want to talk about Devo Max, because the, the Misuse of Drugs Act, which is 50 years old, is reserved. It's not fit for purpose. We've lost the war on drugs. So we need to talk about powers for a purpose. So yes, hold the Scottish government to account, get more money into frontline services, but also reform drugs legislation and stop criminalising people when they're unwell and when they have addictions. Can I ask separately about um, just something that um, I know has been 
um, trialed up, up in Scotland in some parts of Scotland, a universal basic income. Do, do either of you support that idea? And would you be pushing Keir Starmer to begin building the case for such a such a big reform? Yeah, I'm certainly open to that. I mean, I think a big priority now has to be how can we maximise people's income? How can we tackle the cost of living? How can we give working people a real boost? Um, I think more analysis of this is, is required as a, as a policy, but it's certainly something that I am open to. Look, I think it merits consideration. But what I would say is, I think over the course of this crisis, I think you've seen how important it is to have government intervention. And, you know, the furlough scheme is one perfect example of that. If we didn't have a furlough scheme across the UK, we would have decimated whole industries and we would have thrown millions of people onto the unemployment scrap heap, which would have been such a tragedy, not just for those losing their jobs, but also their families and, and for generations that follow. And so, um, you know, I'm open-minded about about UBI. I'm, I'm not sure it's it's the, the right policy right now, but I'm open-minded to it. I'm happy to explore it further. And we do have pilots happening uh, across the UK. But what I would much rather see is how do we properly think about what role the state plays not only in times of crisis. So there's the state has stepped in when we had the banking crisis in a really interventionist sense. The state has stepped in when we've had the COVID crisis and really, really interventionist. Why wait till there's a national crisis? Why wait when we are in that in that level of despair? And why not? Why can't the state be much more proactive in terms of supporting sectors, in terms of getting people back into work, in terms of making sure that they have adequate pay in their work? and actually have a real engaged economy that works for everyone. And, and I think as part of our COVID recovery, we've got to look about how we reshape and remodel our economy so it works for everyone and it works no matter what our economic outlook is at that time. Okay, one final quick one before I let you guys go. If 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 we had an independence referendum started tomorrow, who should lead the no campaign? Nice. <laughs> that, that, you're, I told you, Rachel, you, you're obsessed by this independence question. You and Paul, I mean, almost every time Monica and I try and move on to the issues, you, you two both want to take us back to the independence question. So perhaps you are best to lead that campaign to keep us uh, as part of the uh, as part of the UK. We're just uh, following the polls on us. <laughs> yeah. well, the, well, the, well, the poll show actually was 51-49 in the last poll. Um, so I think you asked more than 51% of the questions on that independence question. If, but, but, but an important point, and I think Monica makes a really important point about politics being connected to people and in people's real life experiences. And, and you know, her, her previous products bill was, was a perfect uh, example of that. Um, I think it is important that we do our politics differently. Um, and that's why, you know, I've spent the last three years uh, listening and learning to our diverse communities and trying to pull our diverse communities together to challenge racism, Islamophobia, homophobia, um, anti-Semitism, sexism, um, and every other type of prejudice and hatred, trying to really bring our communities together, listening and learning from them. Because okay, but... wh whatever divisions we think we have in our own political party or between our political parties, they're nothing compared to the divisions that people want to create in our society. And I think listening and learning to them and rooting our politics in that, um, I think is going to be absolutely important to us. I know that doesn't answer your independence referendum uh -huh. campaign, but I'm not. But I'm nominating you for that role, Rachel. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> okay, so um, Anas's independent. Um, sorry, union campaign is is leaderless, Monica. Who would you have lead it? Would it? Would you have someone who's not a politician? Or well, this is why I think it's important to stop this from being a binary question, a binary campaign. Because if we just make it about 
on the one hand you can have independence, on the other hand you can have the union, then that space for those people who actually are not wedded to either, but who want to see reform, who want to see devolution changing, then I think that's where Scottish Labour needs to be. So I'm not going to sit here today and, and say, oh, this hypothetical referendum, this will be the question. But what I'm trying to say is if we make a case now, starting to show that there, there is merit in being part of something bigger, so those people in Scotland who want to be part of the EU, Let's show them that being part of the, the UK can be positive, it can be progressive. But for people in Scotland who are the majority, who believe in social justice, who believe in equality and fairness, we have to show them that the Scottish Parliament is the centre of politics in Scotland. We need more powers. And that has to include, you know, over, over referendums in future, because we'll go back to this same old tension where we have to look over our shoulder at whoever is the Prime Minister. And I think that just creates more tension and more grievance when we actually need to pull people together and tell them in practical terms, what is the benefit? I've got constituents um, with rare heart conditions who have had treatment in a hospital in Leicester because we don't have that facility in Scotland you know, we used to talk about that pooling and sharing of, of resource. So we have to tell these stories again about what are the actual benefits of being part of something bigger. And you tell that through human stories. So if it is the person in, in Govan and the person in, in Grimsby or wherever, you know, working class people have a lot more in common than they have apart. And that's the story we have to tell. That's the story of the labour movement and the trade union movement. Okay, so that was um, Anna Sawa and Monica Lennon um, talking about their separate bids to be next Scottish Labour Party leader. Paul, what did you think were the dividing lines there? Well, it's interesting, wasn't it? Um, that on independence, is a, there seems a very clear dividing line between them, where Anas has a much more traditional approach to it, and Monica has, has made clear actually that she wants she's open to the idea of, of a, a referendum she doesn't want one but if if the people want one she's not going to stand in in the way um and and that is quite interesting um because she also that fed into her wider point about labor's got to say stop saying we know better to people of scotland um and she clearly thinks that it needs to have a, a sort of a brand new generation of leadership that moves on from that no better approach. Equally, though, Anna Sawa, I thought was interesting. Both of them were very critical of, you know, previous Labour leaders in Scotland and the Labour Party's performance in Scotland. They were quite uh, ruthless about that. And, and I thought that was really interesting. Maybe they both realise they've got to draw a line under that and they have to stick the boot in a bit. And let's be honest, the performance of their previous cities has been pretty dire, isn't yeah. it? No question about it so that's a sort of welcome honesty I thought that was interesting on the independence um but also I thought just in terms of uh, that sense of being progressive I thought they have different views of what progressive means I think when Anna Sawa kept saying you know my job's going to be to bring the party together and respect all different wings of it um you've got Monica Lennon who clearly is much more of the soft left saying well actually the only way we're going to succeed is by convincing young people on things like period poverty that we're going to make a difference and I thought that was an interesting sort of divide between them Yes, and one thing that stood out for me was um, Anas talking about this being a COVID recovery parliament, and he, and he kind of tied it very much to, um, we probably shouldn't be speaking about the independence referendum or potential for, for the next five years of this parliament, but he also tied that into um, 
the, the separate question on whether whether you thought whether you asked him, I think it was that whether he thought rejoin was a credible position for the Scottish Labour Party to take, and he sort of also tied in any questions about the EU to the end of end of the Parliament alongside this question of how they might reform the UK more generally, and I yeah. just thought that's kind of like an interesting marker for. And because and, and is very much the favourite as it stands, and it's a very yeah. interesting marker for him to pick. Yeah, it's interesting. And it was interesting. I might be misremembering it, but I thought Monica's response to that was interesting she, too. She almost said, well, you know, rejoin, but, you know, not right now, but maybe she had, again left over the option that maybe at some point in the future this is going to come back. Um, and I thought that was interesting. Um, again, she's she's not sort of ruling things out. I think overall the the really interesting thing is just it may well be that a more effective Labour leader in Scotland is what they need. Someone who's puncher on the media, someone who really cuts through. Let's be frank, you know, Richard Leonard for all his uh, other assets didn't cut through at all. Um, both of them sound authentically Scottish, you know, rooted in their communities, um, but also rooted in Labour. And I thought it was quite interesting that that either of them would actually do a better job, it seems, than anyone has recently in recent years. And I think that's something that Scottish Labour might want to sort of build on. And also, let's be honest, it's quite a good thing that there is a contest because at one point it looked like there was going to be, you know, a, a walkover for Anna Sawa. Um, and Monica Lennon is doing the job of probing and testing and putting the other the case, even though he might be the favourite. Um, you know, uh, you can't in, ever in any Labour leadership race, as we know from history in the last five years, rule anybody out. So I'm pretty sure she thinks she's got a chance, particularly if, if she's got unions like Unite behind her. Indeed, yeah. Well, um, I think we'll probably leave, leave it there for, for this week. Yeah, no, I don't no, think no that. Quiz I, this week. I thought <laughs> there is no quiz. But thank God, because I, I'm, I'm really poor when it comes to Scottish detail. But I think, oh, just finally, I think the overall point that was really interesting is that at some point, it's this sense of healing the nation. And at some point, um, I don't know, even if there is, say there's an independence referendum and say there's another narrow defeat for independence. I still think it's such a, a powerful emotional argument that people will think that that's it for a generation. But I think there might well be for quite a long time, more than 40 percent of people in Scotland who, who want an independent Scotland. It's going, certainly going to be interesting. But, um, yeah, I mean, if, if, if Nicola Sturgeon does emerge victorious and the SNP do win, um, it, it's not necessarily going to be happening, you know, another independence referendum is not necessarily going to be happening straight away because this might involve a long battle in the courts. And, yeah. you know, as as Anna Sauer referred during the during our question in there, it was he kind of felt that there might be a different wind blowing through politics generally because of everything that's happened in America with Joe Biden and, you know, yeah. what we may see in other elections across Europe. So... Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's very hard to predict from where we stand now with a sort of different wind blowing through politics generally. Definitely. Might look like. And you think the sort of politi- the sort of forces of gravity eventually might catch up with the SNP. Nicola Sturgeon won't be there forever. We don't know about the next generation of SNP leaders. So Scottish Labour's got a chance. And I think that's why jumping a generation with, with either Monica Lennon or Anna Sarwar, either way, would be quite helpful for them. Indeed. Right. Well, thank you very much. All right. Cheers, Rachel. And we'll be back with the quiz next week, everyone. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.